Cinderella, funny fella, running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head, and nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blix. Welcome to another edition of the Fringeworthy Podcast. Continuing our series on packing for success, we are now going to talk about vehicles. And we're not talking about any vehicles, but we're talking about vehicles that work on the Fringe Pass. Those of you who are unfamiliar with Fringeworthy, the Fringe Pass have some very strict requirements because electricity does not work on the Fringe Pass. Therefore, most of your internal combustion type engines won't work. This was a, a big problem back when they first started to explore the fringe pass because each platform is at least 47 miles away from the next platform. So there's considerable distances involved in going from platform to platform to explore through the portals that are on those platforms. So being able to travel effectively and and without using an internal combustion engine, at least the kind we're used to, would be a big challenge for the early technical services for IDET and the interdimensional teams. Starting at the beginning, of the exploration and moving on through four or five years into the the timeline of the IDET exploration, we're going to talk about what vehicles do we think would most likely be discovered and be useful and how they could have been used and any caveats about their effectiveness versus other ones. We're getting ready to head into what the most practical version of of an engine is. And Bruce, what is that? That is diesel. Yeah, yeah, that's the way to go, and 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 it will be discovered, right. I would imagine, relatively soon. I mean, right. we're talking probably within a year or so. Somebody's going to come up with a bright idea. In my campaign, we actually used the fringe pirates to do this because when the when they were sitting there getting laughed at by the fringe pirates at, at their their pathetic uh, <laughs> steam powered car, these guys turned around and motored away at about fifty miles an hour, and they're like. What's that smell? The exhaust. It smells like diesel. Diesel? Wait a second. Could that well maybe, maybe could, could that be something that we could use? And then the right. people said, "Wait a second. Yeah, because the whole idea of diesel is you when you see an internal combustion engine like regular gasoline engines, it's called dieseling when the car continues to run after you've turned off the ignition. In other words, the heat of the engine is so high that as air and, and fuel is introduced by the engine just simply turning over, it ignites and continues to run. Therefore, a diesel engine doesn't require electricity. It just can, it just requires a continuous supply of air fuel under high compression, yep. and it will just run forever. In my backstory for why they didn't consider it diesel was that the Hummer they used initially was a diesel Hummer. You gotta stand. It's a modern-day diesel. It's completely computer-controlled, electronically controlled fuel injection, electronically controlled everything. It has an electric fuel pump. It goes through the portal, and the first thing that happens, it dies. No electricity Boom. works. So even though the engine design would theoretically work. All the parts of it that rely on electricity fail, and so the engine doesn't appear to work properly. However, you pull out a, a 1935 diesel deuce and a half, crank that baby up in the front, and you're it, good to go. Because it, it's entirely mechanical. <laughs> the very first diesel engine, they used compressed air and fuel to get it going. So it would be quite reasonable to take a diesel engine and create a compressed air starter on it to get it going. Created by Rudolf Diesel, who 
basically made the first diesel engine in about what was it uh, 1897. So yeah, diesel engines are a century old, or actually more than a century old technology, and well designed. So even the Victorians could conceivably use a, a diesel engine. Well, I don't know. I mean, they no, could. Okay. They, they, they could if you wanted to. The diesel engine back then was something that was bolted to a table and looked like an espresso machine. If you wanted to, you could. But for them, that would be the super high-tech, borderlands of science type of thing for them. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to understand that the first practical diesel engine was I'm looking at the time right now. Wasn't really made until like about nine oh nineteen oh two nineteen oh three. So yeah, even right. though it was done during their their time period of the eighteen nineties, it still would be like this would be the high tech, super high tech, super experimental vehicle because they still would not really understand how how it works and they still would be trying to figure out how to make the damn thing run properly. That's, well, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying that this would be like secret weapon technology type of thing for them. Um, yeah. But but for us, you know, it, it's a matter of giving up all of our modern uh, conveniences and saying, you know what? We want a crank start. You know, we, we don't want it to be computer controlled. Or a compressed air starter. Or a compressed air starter, right? We want something exceptionally basic. We need to get back to the you know, the bare bones which is why the Muscovies were taking the mothballs. They're Russian diesels. You can run them into a tree, and they still they still run just fine. They were created back in about ni- in the 1930s, yeah. and therefore they didn't have any of these modern uh, electronic controls and things like that. They used a uh, a system of weights and springs to control fuel delivery relative to both load and speed, they, and they work perfectly fine. They might have had to, in some cases, retrofit them, and of course they had to. Um, no doubt overhaul them because they've been mothballed sitting on docks somewhere in warehouses for the last 30, 40 years. Maybe not all of them. There may be a few still in operation. <laughs> yeah. There are very few of these early diesel engines. They're literally, they were t- taking them out of collectors' collections and saying, we need these to explore the fringe pass. You'd see the most wildest kind of, of old collector type, you know, old cars, classic car get-together whenever the fringe explorers were going out to explore until they started running into worlds that had uh, timelines where the technology level was about the 1920s and 1930s. And then they would have access to machining and mature metallurgical type worlds in which they were used to working with diesel engines at what we would consider to be at their prime for the the non-electrical. And then those could provide Earth prime with much better diesel engines. You know, once you hit like year four, year five, we started out with basic, you know, which was bicycles and such. And then we got into, you know, the beginning where, you know, you're using or intermediate where you're using, you know, the old style diesel. You get a little advanced and you're going to have manufacturers building custom diesel machines or or vehicles Mm -hmm. where they have all the modern extra stuff maybe even airbags ceramic parts oh yeah yeah. ceramic parts and stuff like that but they're still using the old diesel technology because that's what still works on the fringe pass so you're getting a modern vehicle with an you know with an old engine design but with all modern parts right you have laser machining techniques you have the modern day precision use you know so you're able to get diesel engines that produce enormous amounts of torque and reliability compared to how they were back in the 1920s but you're looking you're looking at a minimum of year five yeah and you're also looking at probably what what would be a hybrid they would probably have fuel cells instead of batteries Fuel cell won't get drained. As long as you don't let the, the two components of the fuel cell meet and mix together, you have no charge, unlike a battery does. Therefore, you can, after 10 minutes, turn it on, and now you have electric, electric start for your diesel. But they're hybrid in that they have electric start. They also have a spot where you take the crank out, plug it in, and crank start the f- full thing. Because someone inver- invariably will forget and turn the diesel off while they're on the platform. So, yeah, you either have a crank start or, or as Bruce pointed out, a uh, compressed air start, but you're going to have to have a non-electrical start system for the sucker just in case someone forgets and turns off the engine. I'm sure these vehicles are probably going to cost a couple million dollars a piece, but 
Oh, each engine's going to yeah. be hand-built. Each engine's hand-built, right. hand-milled. But still, you know, these are vehicles that are going to be used, you know, for the most rarest of, of, of uses. I mean, when you see the kind of equipment that are used in the space program or things like that, million dollars is what it costs for a spacesuit. Okay, so this, this is not an outrageous sum. Even though these are very expensive pieces of equipment, there are going to be things that are going to have great utility, and you'll be able to use them for an extended period of time. And so it'll be fine. There, there won't be any problem about that. The whole world will pitch in with money, especially as the fringe explorers start bringing back technology that will really benefit the world. And then the checkbooks will be opened up, and there won't have any problems with this sort of thing. Big thing with diesels is is mileage, and some diesels get very good mileage. Trouble is, diesels that get the best mileage right now do so because they are electronically controlled and monitored and all that kind of crap. So unfortunately, you're going at best you can get between thirty and forty miles to the gallon on the older diesels, which is about where right. they were back in the thirties and forties. So yeah, you're gonna need to carry fuel, and that's but diesels. That's the great thing about diesels. If 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 it can burn. You can tune your diesel to burn it. You know, we're talking we're talking everything from rapeseed oil, use grease from the kitchen, which you gotta filter first before you put in the engine, up to including things like juice from fermented banana skins if you have to do it, go that route. The original diesel it ran off of peanut oil. You also considered using coal right. dust. Yes, coal dust in your diesel. You really don't have to worry about carrying a lot of fuel because you can always find something to burn that sucker on most worlds that actually have some sort of civilization. Now, having said that, burning gasoline in a diesel engine is a trick. So you may want to have a good mechanical skill before you try burning gasoline in a diesel engine. If you don't do it right, you'll blow your heads out. A diesel engine can produce equivalent amounts of horsepower that you'd expect in a regular vehicle. So once you actually have a useful workable diesel engine design, you can start putting them into a wide variety of vehicles that you can use on the freight. You can put them into motorhomes. You can put them into boats. You can put them into all kinds of things knowing that they're going to work on the fringe paths. This is what we really think would be the main workhorse of the fringe path as far as a vehicle that could travel on the fringe paths as well as explore off-fringe and worlds. And the Moscovy is a uh, light-armored personnel carrier so it can it can travel over all kinds of land uh, in harsh environments it takes a licking and keeps on rolling and so that's one reason why a lot of people like it i love the idea of an rv though because that would be the perfect you would actually have a specially built rv just for these guys you know i actually there's a there's actually a model that comes out of germany it's a really beautiful rv but it has one extra special feature it has underneath it a small car you can pull out on, you can get out on hydraulic jacks. Hey, let's mention the the fact that there are diesel motorcycles. That's um, right. You can have a kickstart diesel motorcycle that would fit the bill just fine. And you know, talking John talking about the RV, you could strap a couple of these motorcycles on the outside of the RV. You could pull this RV up to a platform, leave it there, take your motorcycles on world. You know, the right motorcycle is really an all-terrain vehicle. For some folks, they may actually want to use the use a diesel motorcycle on the on the pathways themselves because it's 48 feet wide. I ride a motorbike, 40 feet wide, straight as an arrow, right down that sucker at 56 miles an hour. <laughs> right, and think about the gas mileage on that. I mean, you're getting like incredible mileage because you know the only mass you're moving is your is your bike and you. Yeah. And diesel engines, uh, they, they are very smooth. So you'd be able oh, to yeah. travel. It, it would be almost like flying. Yeah, it'd be great. Mm-hmm. I think a diesel oh, motorcycle yeah. is, is awesome. You know, we try not to talk about our characters too much, but I will mention that one of the characters I had exclusively used a diesel motorcycle, and it was just fantastic. You know, it just because the, the range, and we just figured that it was. It was a very good way to travel. He was pretty much a loner, so it worked out. I think a diesel motorcycle is, is a, a fantastic way to go. And they're really good off-fringe because they yeah. have all that torque and, and not much weight, so you can go over quite a bit of, of territory. Plus, when you get to a world, you can hide it easily and then travel around to see what the world is like. And then you can go get it if they have something like that. But if not, you can you know you can walk around and you can keep that thing hidden very easily. It's good for making quick escapes. Uh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But the downside of, of diesel engines, which we need to talk about, is the fact that they operate by the uh, heat of compression in the engine. So therefore, it's really important for the, the fuel air mixture to be really hot from compression itself. Now, the biggest thing that works against it is the actual temperature of the engine itself. The engine, if on a cold day, it might not work at all. Uh, they actually had heaters, electrical heaters, that they used on a lot of vehicles, diesel engines and diesel trucks, to heat up the, the uh, manifolds and things like that to get the engine warm enough so the engine would just start. Some of the early diesel engines, they literally put pans full of flaming oil underneath them to heat up the engine to the point where they could start the engine. So a, a diesel vehicle is not a good vehicle to use in an Arctic situation or a wintertime situation, unless, of course, you have some means of, of, of taking care. Now, on the French path, that's not a problem. The temperature on the French path is very nominal, so you should never have a problem on the French path. But once you go off the French path, that's where you need that more modern design where you can include heaters running off of electrical batteries that you've recharged to you know heat things up and keep things going. I used to drive a diesel vehicle when I was uh, younger, back in the uh, 70s. And yeah, on a cold Michigan morning, watching that glow plug come up and going, please start, <laughs> please start. Right. You know, it's funny, I've yeah. never driven, I've never actually driven a diesel vehicle. Well, they, 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 they drive just oh, like I, regular vehicles, auto. <laughs> right. Yeah. Except that at the time, though, there were there, the only place we well, there was only like during the seventies. This is before diesel vehicles were really common in the United States. I basically I knew the location of all five gas stations that actually had diesel you could right. buy and not be a truck. Yeah, that, that's always an so issue. So we, we did, yeah. So so we did something a little bit a little bit illegal at the time, you know, because you know diesel is just like number two fuel oil and we had these two big fuel oil tanks that we used to have for our old fuel for our old uh, oil fire, fired furnace when we went, went to gas we saw those two big old fuel tanks right, right. and they fill it number two number right. two diesel and, and remember you can use biodiesel which is essentially hardly more yeah. than filtered french fry oil so if you go to a world where oh, yeah. they don't have a lot of diesel engines, but they have a McDonald's or its equivalent, hey, you've got you've got a, a gas station in practically every town you go to. Now I am being facetious oh. here because, in fact, is is that they take that oil and they usually do something. They have to do some filtering and some whatever, but uh, and they do do a little mixture with some some other fuels too on top of that. Right. And a lot of times they preheat the oil so it'll vaporize better when combined with the air. So, you know, there are some things that go on, but I, I've seen lots of cases where people have used, just literally have taken a big container of filtered uh, French fry oil and they're literally running it through a line into their engine and start their engine up and run perfectly fine. Yeah. You just, it's just going to make sure it goes to a decent filter first before you put it in your engine. Otherwise, For obvious reasons. you get a little. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. So. That's uh, that's diesel, and that's probably going to be the workhorse for your uh, fringe explorations for at least, uh, well, I mean, not probably starting about the second or third year when they figure it out, going on through possibly the end of your campaign. I mean, it all depends on how far uh, you you go as far as technology is concerned, and how many secrets of the fringe path you discover. Before we go to the gravity part of it, let's skip to the cable, then we use gravity as the last one. How's that? So uh, the cable-powered vehicles. All right. Uh, This is kind of a a blue-sky idea of mine. We'll be talking about this as far as also uh, charging up some of these other vehicles. And that is, is that the fringe portal, when you put something into it, it pulls on it. It pulls really hard. Uh, It may only go through at 1 16th of an inch a second, Okay, but it pulls up to 50 megatons of actual torque. So that means that any cable that's connected to pretty much anything you can imagine is going to get pulled along. Now, let's assume that you have a cable that's made out of like bucky tubes or uh, or even uh, tamellar steel that's you know thin but got enormously high tensile strength. And you could roll that thing out 50 miles long so that you could actually go and drive through a portal and there'd be a a cable on the other side moving along. You attach your vehicle to that cable and it pulls you along to the next portal. 
And then as you go through the portal on that, you take that same cable and you shove it through. Um, uh, you, you take it back through and attach it to a vehicle going the other way, and you and you drag another cable behind you until you get to the portal, and then that keeps pulling along. So another vehicle that comes along comes through and finds the cable going along for it to attach to. As long as you keep attaching these cables and detaching them, you can literally create this kind of a you know revolving uh, cable system that, like a, the cable cars in, in San Francisco, could pull vehicles along and not cost any anything as far as fuel or anything but you wouldn't be traveling very fast because one sixteenth of an inch a second is not very fast at all you know and that was the kind of the cable powered vehicle but a more useful method than that would be for charging up other things so for example is, is that you take a vehicle and you you lock it down on the fringe path either by suction or by clamping around the edge of the fringe path so you have it it's locked in it's not going to move and then you go and take that cable we were talking about to throw it through the fringe path but that cable is now attached to a high a gear a, a very high differential gear so a slight movement of the gearing actually causes a great deal of, of turning so that when this cable pulls through this gearing system, it's, it can spin like one of those those flywheels up to a high RPM, or it can turn a compressor and com- and there compress the air for your air car. So you could literally have this small little gearing system and this cable and use the fringe portals themselves as you're traveling along the fringe path to recharge the uh, non-gasoline or diesel engines that you have in your vehicles. This cabling system... It draws energy from the portal system itself. Right. The portal's going to pull on anything trying to go through it, and you can pull back against it. As long as you can't pull more than 50 megatons of pressure, at which point it would shear the cable as a safety measure, it's going to keep pulling. And so, therefore, you could use all that torque to power a lot of things. The cable you would use would be different depending on the, the application you want to use. Like, I know we're talking about travel. So that would, you know, we're talking about cable, basically using like a cable car, but you know, getting off the whole travel aspect, you could literally throw a thin iron wire or, or copper wire or whatever through it to drive any kind of device that you want to use using a mechanical energy type of process. Right. Right. Some of the designs we were talking about, where you have a flywheel and it's like it weighs like a ton, a couple of tons. It works great rolling along, but you have to go from the platform to the roadway. You have to go up a ramp, and that will use all your energy just going up that ramp because it's like 14 feet tall. And instead of doing that, you just simply take a cable that has a tensile strength of 10 or 15 tons, and you throw it through the portal. It'll pull your vehicle up onto the fringe pass, and then you can use the the power that's stored in your flywheel or whatever to, to roll it along on now the perfectly flat fringe path. Right, and some ropes would even qualify under that. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, when you're talking about yeah. that, you don't need steel for that. I mean, you could literally use, you know, bioproducts because some of them are exceptionally strong. I mean, hemp rope is actually very strong. Right, just to be a big, thick rope would do too. Yeah. Right, it would need a big, thick rope. But I mean, the point of the matter is, is that you don't need something that's that's expensive or hard to obtain. You could use something, you know, like a cheap rope. Yeah, multiple ropes, yeah. Right, and just literally throw it, hurl it, just shoot it through. That would pull you through there. We could actually make use of this to launch one of those guys with the squirrel suits. (laughs) Attach a rope to him. Instead of using a rope, you use a bungee cord. Right. He hangs on to it while he's braced on something and (laughs) starts pulling through, stretching and stretching and stretching until he he can't hold on to him no more, and he lets go. And he shoots through that portal at speed. <laughs> Honestly, I was thinking about the, the guys in the squirrel suits. The funny thought that came to mind, I mean, it's funny, but it would be useful, is you would have like a little catapult device on the back of your vehicle. With modern materials, you could build like a really super efficient spring system, and you could build like a you know like a short little catapult that would actually hurl one of these guys a great distance, and you could put him in one of these squirrel suits and he'd sit in a little seat and he would tong shoot him through the air. He could spread his wings out and he could fly through it. So I mean, you could literally attach it's one of these modern materials, like a Kevlar cable or whatever, to him, and you could shoot him through this thing and he could fly through and then land on the other side and it would literally pull your vehicle through. 
I like the idea of the, the bungee cord where you're using the portal to basically add energy to the spring by pulling it, pulling and pulling while the other end is attached and then hurling it. That'd be good. Just be real careful about how much energy you do because when you finally let go, the number of Gs that you're going to be inflicting on your body <laughs> might very much kill you. Right. <laughs> I mean, look, you got one hand on the bungee cord. Or what? Actually, the bungee cord is probably attached to a, a, a strap on right. your on you your belt. You would clip that on. And you're hanging onto a ramp on your side. You can hook that around the ramp, you know. I mean, look. Hey, let's not forget the bungee guy. You know, your droogie that you send through the portal. He can get to the other side, and as soon as he's through the other side, he could literally take a knife and cut that bungee cord loose. I mean, he doesn't have to hang on to this thing once he gets to the portal, and then he's done. I think he's going to be moving too fast to be thinking about much of anything. What do you think? He could literally just pull a cord or, or cut it loose and then, you know, plan on his landing and not worry about you guys, because you know, you guys will come yeah. through. Because when you go up that ramp and you go through the portal, you're be airborne <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so maybe Make sure you, the rollerblades you're wearing are actually have like good bearings on them so they don't wear out from the launch. <laughs> right. But also don't forget that portals are a smooth material. So a crash landing on one of them is maybe not nearly as bad as crashing on asphalt. When he makes his landing, if as long as he's got a good sliding distance, he may not get hurt nearly as bad. Right. If you can slide on the fringe pass, you'll probably be okay. Though, of course, that herringbone pattern we were talking about will tend to slow you down. Right. Uh, but, but don't but, forget, the French pairs are slightly intelligent, so they may even let that guy slide a little longer than they would normally. Right. Because they might interpret. Yeah, kiss you know, up to your GM, okay? Right. Whatever. <laughs> buy, my, buy my Snickers. I'll, offer cookies if, they're, right. if your character manages to survive this. <laughs> Let's remind all the people who are like, you know, who might be balking at some of the discussions we've been having about laws of physics and, you know, like our physics majors and stuff out there. A lot of the stuff that we do, we steal, we're, we're, we're literally stealing energy from the fringe system because a lot of energy was put into the system to make it happen. So we're not just making this stuff up out of nowhere. This energy is not coming from nowhere. You know, energy was put into the system to build it, and we're just stealing from it. So when somebody gets pulled through the portal, you know, that's not free energy. You know, that energy comes from the portal dynamics. Yeah. It's designed so, to pull you through as a safety measure. Right. But that energy that energy comes from the fringe system. It's not free. It's not coming from out of nowhere. It's being paid for. Which brings us to our next engine, which is probably going to be the most controversial amongst some of our listeners. Bruce? <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. Now, I, I can realistically claim that I am the inventor of the gravity-powered vehicle. Be gentle I, with Bruce. Because yes, please. It's, 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 it's my cool, baby. It, it is a cool system. Yeah. I've been running this game for 30 years. Nobody ever thought of this until I finally wrote it up in the Infinite Crossroads of the newsletter about 10 years ago. And even then, everyone who's read it since then just shakes their head and says, this is black art. This can't possibly be working. But let me explain it to you, and then you can see how it works. We understand the way the fringe paths are laid out, that there is gravity over the fringe paths, but there's no gravity on the outside of the fringe paths. And this is all caused by the fact that inside the fringe path is a 8,000-mile column of dirt that only appears to be four foot deep in, on a platform and about four inches deep on a fringe path. You have a gravity vector that's vertical. Just like if you were over top of it, you drop something, it falls down onto the platform. But if you put your hand off of the fringe path and drop something, it just hangs there because there's no gravity below that because the fringe path doesn't extend out there. Okay, this creates what we call a gravity shear. There is gravity on one point, and then there's no gravity anymore. We talked about how the air currents work. The air is being pulled down in the center, pushed out, and, and therefore air continues to pull down, pushed out to the side, and then rises up. Because there's no gravity out there, the air is going to just rise up. If you take a wheel, uh, like a wheel on a bike, and you take the wheel and you put it so that the center of the wheel is right there where that edge of the platform is, so that the wheel is facing toward the center of the platform or the center of the fringe path. Gravity is only pulling down on half that wheel. The other half, there's no gravity. 
So that wheel is going to turn inward toward the fringe path. And because there's nothing on the other side pulling equally on the other side of the wheel, it's going to rotate and it's going to continue to rotate. And it's going to be pulled down at, at the normal acceleration of gravity. And it'll go faster and faster and faster until either the mechanical part of the wheel stops it from spinning or you get so much acceleration that it literally pulls itself apart. This is the idea of the gravity motor. You take a very large wheel that's made out of a material like steel or ceramic. There's a lot of materials that can be made out of. The point is you want a, a thick, heavy outer rim connected into the center by spokes of whatever kind you want to the center, and you put that center, again, over top of the edge of the platform or the edge of the roadway, and that thing starts turning. And that center part, the axis, is then connected to some crankcase or whatever, and you run that down to a set of driving wheels, and you roll yourself along the fringe path. The more weight and the wider the diameter of the wheel is, the more power you're going to get out of this. We haven't been able to figure out how much power you can get, but quite a lot. It doesn't have to be just you know, a thin wheel. It could be a cylinder spinning like this. You could have something the equivalent of a train engine that could sit in front of your vehicles, and you'd have all your vehicles on basically the equivalent of flatbed cars and just pulling it along the fringe path. As long as it stays along that edge, you're going to have energy. Now, what happens when you get to the end of the fringe path? You just simply go and using some of that energy that's already in the system, you slide that wheel over to the center of your vehicle so that the center of gravity for the wheel is also along the center of gravity for your vehicle. Because otherwise, once you go through the fringe path onto the fringe platform, you have all this weight now because the other half of the wheel, it didn't have any weight. It had no gravity pulling on it. It still had mass, but no gravity. Now it has weight on it, the gravity pulling on both sides, and your vehicle is going to flip over to the right-hand side or the left-hand side if you're driving the British style. Before you leave the fringe path, you want to move that over to the center of your vehicle so everything lines up. Now, it still will be top-heavy unless it's sitting down as a sort of a locomotive pulling flat cars with your vehicles on it. But you could build vehicles that could literally travel at relatively high speeds. I think they could probably travel as fast as regular vehicles, gasoline-powered, and you would never run out of power. As long as you were able to get that over to the uh, edge of the platform or the edge of the uh, pathways, you'd always be able to generate torque to drive the wheels to move it along. And there's all kinds of possible designs you can come up with this. It is, appears to be a, a perpetual motion machine, so we're not sure how the thing is balanced out. But we do know that as long as you, you line this up the way we're talking about it, it'll constantly rotate, it'll constantly generate power, and you can use it to create vehicles that can travel great distances on the fringe paths using no fuel at all. The three laws of thermodynamics still function on the fringe paths. But, for whatever reason, the gravity shear motor, as I, I like to call it, works. Somewhere along the line, it's being paid for. Somewhere along, either the fringe path is losing mass, or there's energy being shifted around someplace, but somehow or another, there's no free energy being created. A lot of energy was put into building the fringe paths, and this is just, this is literally marketing on the energy that's already in there. It's not free energy. It's not a perpetual motion. It's literally taking advantage of gravity shear, which does not occur anywhere in nature. You can't say, well, this doesn't happen anywhere in nature. Well, you're right. It, it, it doesn't because in nature there's no such thing as a gravity shear. But right. on the fringe paths, there is, and we're taking advantage of that. Hey, it's a sci-fi game, and that's what we're doing. Right. Only in this very specific environment could you pull this off. If you pull that spinning wheel over to the center of the platform, it's going to slow down and stop just like it would normally. It's only when you have it right there on the edge like that will this work. So we have a challenge for you folks. If you got the math and you know how and you're good with physics and doing this stuff, either show us why it wouldn't work or show us what, how it works. And especially show us how much energy we can get out of it so we can figure out how fast we can drive a vehicle along with it. And don't forget, it's not a matter of we can or can't. This is a role-playing game. 
it is sci-fi, stretch it. You know, if you don't know, if you say, well, you know, hey, physics, we don't know what a gravity shear would do. This is your ability to or your chance to stretch physics, play sci-fi writer and say, well, hey, there's no reason why it can't work. And, you know, if it does work, this is the mathematics that we think it would generate. The science doesn't get much weirder than this. Right, right, exactly. We also have to take into consideration that this isn't like a complete solution to everything. This is not a vehicle you would take off the French Pass too readily. I mean, you you could. It'd be pointless. But, but it would be kind of pointless because this has a whole entire mechanism built that would only work on the French Pass. So what you might have is you'd have this vehicle and then you'd have a trailer that would have like, say, for example, diesel motorcycles attached to the back of it. So that you would use this vehicle to get where you're going, and then you would get on your diesel motorcycles and drive through the portal and use that on world. So it's not an end-all, be-all type of thing. It would be the kind of thing that you would use to travel really long distances. But if you were only going over two or three platforms, you may not even use this vehicle. You might say, no, 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 I'm just going to get in my diesel vehicle, drive two or three platforms, drive through the portal, and use it as is. Because this thing is too convoluted to be using that for. But if you're going 40 platforms, you know that might be completely unreasonable for a diesel vehicle because like, where am I going to get all the fuel for that? If I go out 10 platforms, am I going to have diesel fuel at that point? So with this thing, you're going to have fringe energy, as I'm coining it at this moment. Go auto. It, no matter how far you go. So you would use this vehicle, and then you would pull off your diesel bikes, and off you'd go. If it offends thee, don't use it. If you can't swallow the physics, you can't swallow it, don't use it. I originally envisioned this as something that would be used not for initial exploration. As time goes on and we actually get fringe commerce and we're actually moving large amounts of material between worlds using, even though we know these are the Jeffrey tubes and not the big system, it's what we have. And so when you start having these major trucking systems going back and forth and a whole bunch of people who are fringe who don't want to be explorers, this allows them to have vehicles to create a real transportation system that doesn't use valuable fuel oils. We're not adding to that problem. It doesn't produce any pollution on the fringe path. Can you imagine the hundreds of vehicles, even though the fringe path cleans itself, hundreds of vehicles going up and down these, these platforms all the time, producing all kinds of smog and <laughs> exhaust and things like that. These are completely clean energy designs, oh. okay? Hey, let's get back to the mail service. Right. Talk about a perfect mail service vehicle. You can go any amount of distance with this thing. I agree. Any kind of major transport, long-term transport, this would be great for creating a whole transportation network system. And it used to be a lot harder because the pathways were only eight foot wide. But now that they're 41 feet wide, the pathways, you can have these things going along the outside and leaving the inside for regular vehicles. So it, it all works. It's a good thing. The biggest thing is discovering. Chances are it'll be discovered either by someone who sees it happen on the on the platform or on a pathway. Someone's on a bicycle and holds the bicycle off and watches the wheels spin and keep on spinning and realize, oh, wow. But then he has to prove to every scientist out there that he's not talking through his hat. Right. right. And this can be a later stage development. I mean, it doesn't have to be. If it were my game... I would have this somewhere around year five or so. You know, this this would be a later development because this takes a leap of logic. Then there's the whole development process and improving it, and then getting people to accept it. You know, you have to show people that hey, you know, this will work. Because for most people, they're like, oh no, you're just you're just creating a perpetual motion device. It's like no, 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 wait, 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 wait. It's you know, these right. French pass work different. You have to convince people. You know, like as John was saying. And they're fringe-only vehicles, which for a lot of people say, well, I don't want a vehicle I can only use on the fringe pass. Right. Ooh, what good does that do me, huh? You're talking to some general or something. He's like, well, we need something that's multi-purpose. It's like, okay, so you, you go out 20 fringe pass. Oh, we can't go that far. It's like, oh, but with this you can. And then with the vehicles you tow, then you can go that distance. And then, you know, there's a big convincing process. And that stuff doesn't happen overnight. I can imagine that on the very first trip out, Gordon Conrad putting a wheel out over the edge and watching it spin and going, oh, that's neat, and it's keep on going. 
because we're telling you about this, your player's going to learn about this, rather than someone saying, oh, oh, I want to be the one who discovers this here and let me roll a die, the better solution would be for you to use it as an element of a story. They run into some people that are already using it. Just like I, I talked about how the Fringe Pirates clued them into using diesel engines. It's really hard for the players to act independent of knowledge that they shouldn't have. If they really wanted to discover it, that would be great. But like I said, I, I've been playing this game for 30 years and the, nobody ever understood it. And even after I published it, not one person has ever told me that they used <laughs> it in their campaign. Well, you know, another good thing is this this could be a treasure you could find. You could give to the party. Yeah. You know, it could be in a, in a manual. Somebody could have a diagram of this thing working. And you could have a series of adventures. One of the characters could find this manual, and one of the players could say, hey, this is a great idea. You know, you could have a couple of adventures spanning a long period of time of him trying to convince Idet to build this thing because he found it in a manual. Right. Or he could actually find a couple of these sitting in the middle of platforms, seemingly completely worthless. It's a big wheel on top of a flatbed. What, what the hell is that? Why would anybody do that? It's it's not a wind turbine. I don't see how right. this could be any use at all. What the hell is this thing? So you it just looks leave it really behind. Cool. It's been sitting there for like the last 10 years as you guys are exploring. Well, what is that? I don't know. I think it's some kind of, uh, of artistic marker they put on this platform. Or you could you could even have it as like one of the characters could say, hey, look, I'm gonna go through the the Idet archives, you know, just Indiana Jones storeroom that they have stuff, you know. I just want to look through it and see what you know people have discovered that have just been shelved because they don't know what the they don't know what it is, and you know your character could be the one that discovers this vehicle sitting there and like well, what is this and and you might say well you know it's really intriguing I really want to experiment with it. And you could be the, the character who brings this device into use because you could say, I'm going to play with this thing. I, I want to see what the hell it does. Who else would be using this? Bruce was talking about pirates using diesel. But think about it. Pirates got to travel long distances, and they really don't have the support you right. have. So it's quite possible that pirate vehicles may have a version of these suckers. Maybe I'll cast iron, but hey, it still works. Or the pirate vehicles could be getting there from far away on top of these kinds of, of uh, rail service like mm -hmm. I was talking about. And then they use their diesel-powered attack vehicles, Corsair, so to speak, once they get to where they're going to maraud. It mixed in with their guys in their flywing suits, their yeah. squirrel suits. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. And you thought the fringe paths were boring. Right. Hey, let's. Uh, what are we talking about next? Well, now we're going to talk about a secret of the Fringe Path, something that's never been publicly ever uttered. There okay, actually are. Okay, drum roll, please. There are Tamelern Fringe <laughs> trains. That's right, folks. There's trains out and there. What, you never heard of them? Well, because they've been sitting in Richard Hoka's head for the past 30 years. And because you're listening to the podcast, <laughs> you are the only ones that know about this. Right. And those who read the show notes afterwards. But anyway. <laughs> the point is, is if you buy the book, you're not going to find this information. So, you know, be glad you're listening to the podcast. Because we will, as time goes on, reveal some of these secrets of the Fringe Pass. So, John, do you remember how to uh, call a Tamelon train? Technically, you just take two crystals, unspecify what type they are, but take two crystals. We'll have that in the show notes. Put them together, and you hold them for at least five minutes. And then at the end of the minutes, the, 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 the fringe chain will show up. Well, wait a minute now. You, you hold them together, and then what happens? The fringe chain comes out of one of the 50-foot portals and pulls up and stops. But don't, don't the crystals start spinning or something? Yes, they do. You hold them between your thumb and forefinger, and the, the eight-sided thing that you have will start spinning between your fingers. And after, like, as John says, after about five minutes, a fringe train will just pull out of, a, out of one of those 50-foot portals and pull up to you. And these fringe trains look an awful lot like the monorail trains, like you have at Disney World. They, they have kind of a slope front. But the difference is, is that they actually merge into the surface of the fringe platform. Now, they're pretty, like, there's nothing going on inside these things. Like, you kind of step inside of them. Is there a place to sit? Yes. Okay. 
But there's not a lot going on. There's no, you wouldn't have like billboard, you know, billboards and such. But they're pretty much just like a capsule with a seat, right? Yeah. You really have, as you say, it's like a subway uh, train. Okay. You've got seats. You've got areas mm-hmm. you could you could put stuff. There's doors that open up, and then on each end there is a control room, and the control room is very simple. The control room, it's got a joystick, so you can turn it. In, in, you know, so you can choose which portal you want to go through, 50-foot portal uh, mostly. Uh, and there's also this big arm-like thing. It's like what you see uh, on a, a jet airplane, uh, a passenger one, those big jumbo jet things where you push it and it accelerates. Well, when you start pushing that thing, the vehicle starts moving along, the fringe pass. The more you push it, the faster it goes. It is actually geometrical. The more you push it, it doesn't just go tw- twice as fast, it goes 20 times as fast to the point where the portals, you'll see the portals begin to flicker past your vision as you go traveling along. This train is devised for travel huge distances along the fringe pass. And if you push this thing all the way up to the front, where it's traveling so far that it's like a strobe, the fringe portals flickering along. He says another one will rise up out of the, the control surface, and when you push that one, now you're traveling thousands of nodes at a time. Now, is there a counter to let you know how far you've gone? Yes. It's news to me. <laughs> well, I would say yes, there is, but it's in Tamerlan. Okay. So to do this is kind of dangerous because you don't know how far you've gone, so you don't know where you are or where you've come from. Right. Well, the whole idea yeah. of, of this like, device, as I said, is for you to be able to travel huge distances. In fact, right. is, is if you ever want to get to T-Prime, this is the only way you're reasonably going to be able to do so, is on a vehicle like this. The reason why I bring this up is because I'm thinking of it as a player. You know, I'm at Earth Prime, and I summon up one of these things, and I jump in it, and I push this thing all the way to the limit, and I'm flying by. You know, how do I get back to Earth Prime? Do I? Is there any way I'm going to know how far I've traveled? I mean, is it even conceivable? Is there any kind of counter whatsoever? I mean, Tremelin or otherwise? Actually, Bruce, Bruce is right. There is, as, as described by, by Richard Tohoka, there's no there's counter. There's no counter. You just got no. You just got no. Well, no, okay. you don't have to just know. Okay, assuming that you're not an idiot. Yeah. When you start doing this, you're going to have a stopwatch in your hand. Okay. All right. And you're going to time how far you were traveling with it in various settings. Right. And so you can turn around and reproduce what you just did. Okay. And it should get you back in the ballpark. At the lower speeds, you can go zipping down the pathways three, four, five hundred miles an hour. You can find your way back as long as you didn't just go crazy and just throw caution to the wind and crank this thing to the end and just say, well, whenever we get to the end, let me know and not pay any attention to it. Okay. Well, that also assumes that this is not your first time writing the right. thing. If it's your first time writing the thing, you may not realize you better have a stopwatch out and keep track. Well, there is no end, though, right? Well, I would say, actually, it stops at Fringe Prime. I mean, that's, that's it. A, a T Prime, yes, that's the end. Okay, so we'll stop there. I mean, because we have established mm-hmm. that it's a big circle. Right. Well, no, it's well, at least at least one that hasn't actually been established. Richard says various things to us, but we know the T primes on one end. We don't know what's on the other end. So you're on this train now. Is there a control panel that has like the Termella encounter in it? But no or, or not. No, 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 no counter no. whatsoever. You have to count the portals as they go by. Well, this is one of those situations yeah. we talked about where maybe if you got a high enough crystal use or you had a crystal of appropriate level, you would be able to open up some kind of a control panel that would show you a lot more. Right. But I'm just walking on to this thing with these two crystals. And these two crystals are not really high level. They're like commuter level. Right. Okay. You go into this thing. You push the thing. It, it takes you where you want to go. You're assumed to use a certain amount of caution as you use it. I'm sure that there's ways of programming it for Tim Allen. He just walk in there and say, "Take me where I want to go," and he'd say, "Yeah, boss," and off he would go and do it. So let's say you're an idiot player. You've had this inspiration. I'm gonna touch the two crystals together and see what happens. Right. And this train shows up, and you get in the thing, and you just jam the controls all the way, 
you're pretty much lost. Yes, probably pretty much lost. Yes. I mean, you've pretty much entered Slider's territory. <laughs> if you're smart about it and you see this train, you see this train appear, and you get in and you push the controls and you're reasonable about it, you're going to see the portal slide by and you're going to say, okay, well, three portals stop, you know, went by and I'm going to stop it. And then you can get off and you can do whatever you want to do. And you can say, all right, well, I'm going to take this train back three portals. You're okay because you're going to be back to where you were because you can see the portal sliding by if you don't jam the controls all the way to the, you know, the infinite. Right. You're going to tell that you're really accelerating when you do that. So this train, it's not like a a character killer or or an adventure killer. It's if you're idiot characters – and you're just like, I'm going to get in it, I'm going to jam this thing as far as it'll go. Yeah, you're going to suffer that because yeah. you're being a dummy. You get to visit T-Prime, though. I mean, Or anywhere in between because there's an awful lot of portals in between. Right. It's going to have to be something that's kind of intentional. In other words, your character's going to say, well, I'm going to jam it as far as I can go. This is going to be a device that's going to be useful to you when you run into a, a Tamelaran world or a Commonwealth world where it talks about a portal that is maybe 4,000 nodes away. Now, there's no way you'd ever get there reasonably with a, with a normal vehicle, <laughs> even using a gravity-powered engine. Okay? Right, because it would take you like 100 years or something. But with this kind of a train system, you'd be able to do that readily in maybe a few hours. By right. the way, there's no acceleration inside this vehicle. You're just moving along, and you just yank it back, and you seem to stop instantly. Right. It has inertial dampers built yeah, in. It's, yeah, super sign. It's also not traveling such that, you know, if there's someone on the pathway, you're not going to run them over. And GMs, let's be realistic. If the players say oh, they're trying to take, you know, painstaking measures to track this, you just let them. You know, because the Tamala were not malicious, you know, creatures. They were benevolent creatures. So We think so. As far as we know, I mean, as far as we can tell, they were benevolent creatures. So if the players say, hey, look, we're trying to take, you know, painstaking measures to, like, you know, diagram this out and try and figure out how this thing works, you pretty much want to say, okay, no problem. You know, but if they're just idiots, I'll just jam it all the way it can go. Then you punish them. It's easy enough to keep track of this. You have a whole new campaign, the journey home. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I think we held it for an hour. I think. (laughs) Right. Right. But I mean, if the players say, you know, hey, look, I'm really trying to take painstaking measures to keep track of this. You just let them because this is not going to happen early in your campaign. For the simple reason that crystals are going to be very rare. The chances of any of your characters having two of these crystals in his pocket at the same time and putting them together and hanging his hand up in the air and having this happen is very unlikely. Most crystals are going to be in the hands of people that IDET wants to become fringeworthy so that they can you know, they carry them around with them and, and hope that that 5% chance per year will trigger them into becoming friendsworthy. Right. This this would be like a treasure. You know, somebody would find a book at some point later in your campaign, yeah. you know, that might have a picture of somebody doing this. And this might be where they get the idea to do this. Bruce, do they have to be the same crystals? No, they're two different crystals. So they can be like an orange crystal and a no, black no, crystal? No, no, they're specific, two specific crystals. I'll find those notes on what they are. It's, I know one of them is the one that's marked for commuter, and I think the other one is like security or something like okay. that. So these are two very specific crystals you put together? Yes. So it might be like one color and another color? Yes, definitely two well, different colors. But no other crystal combinations will do this? I just know that he said that there was these two. It doesn't mean that others wouldn't do it. One's a commuter. See, that's where the train comes in. One's security. Putting those two together does this. It's one of those things where it's unlikely to happen by accident unless you want to hand wave and say, you know, it's been five years. Nobody's ever discovered this. Maybe it's about time someone did. Or or perhaps you're a game master and you've got friends where you've been running for a while and you decide, you know what? I really want to bring T Prime into this. Yes. And if you want to bring Team Prime in this, let's say you want, you know, you're just like, you know what? I want to take this whole Tamala and Meller thing to the next level. I, I want to really introduce the players to the Tamala Society. 
this would be the time to bring it in because this is the only way to get the T Prime. I mean, this is it, period. Right. Yeah. And we are talking about the T Prime platform. As like, we know from the book, T Prime isn't there anymore. It, it's like a gazillion miles away. Yeah, I mean, they took it to another star system, remember? <laughs> it, it's just, it's not conceivable by any means. I don't care what kind of diesel vehicle you got, you're not getting there by those yeah. means. But the T Prime platform is still there. It's the size of a small yeah. moon, and it has multiple 50-foot rings on it. So it tells you there's maybe more pathways out there to worry about. It's also got all kinds of prototype equipment, too, You know that were just left over oh, from yeah. experiments. This was the, the major experimentation place for the primers. You're not getting there by any other means. Not this recently. No. The, the train is it. Yeah. These trains are there for the purpose of people moving through the Jeffries tubes and doing work. Let's talk about another alternate, the one that I sort of came up with, that is not canon, but is something that's not unrealistic. Oh, the conveyor, the fringe conveyor. This is sort of my invention in a way, and this would be a crystal use role. I would like it to be an orange crystal, just because that's sort of like the machinery crystal, being that the pathways can change their texture based on how fast you're moving you could modify the texture to your liking so if you were to use an orange crystal you could tell the pathway to change its texture to mimic like a snake skin so that you could stand in a spot and then be moved like a conveyor system as the texture changed to push you along so that you wouldn't need a vehicle at all you would literally just activate the pathway to transport you you would essentially be surfing the pathway right and this wouldn't be super fast this would be something that would be i don't know 10 miles an hour but yeah. still i mean if you think about it you you know you stand there you put all your equipment around you and off you go right and you're not using any energy you're not using you're not using any, anything you're just standing there you could literally take a nap and let this thing run yeah, th this is not a canon uh, idea, but at the same time, we're not telling GMs what that they can't introduce new crystal uses into their games. It's your campaign. You do what you want to do. If you think this is a totally cool idea and you want people zipping down the fringe paths, standing on a little striated pattern that the fringe path is providing for you and just moving you along, hey, go for it. You know, we're not right. telling you no. I mean, and this fits within the fringe physics. Yes, you know, the, it's the a good fringe. extrapolation, Otto. I, th I think it's a good idea. I don't. It's not overpowering. Again, I don't see it as being a very fast way of travel, but I do see it as a free. I mean, it's essentially free, but it would require crystal use. It would be very um, handy. Yeah. It's also something to help you save fuel as well. And understand, it's, it's just the patch where you're on. The rest of the path pathway doesn't actually. Turn into a big conveyor. Right. It's just the bit you're on, and it's just like handing you on down to the next bit, the next bit, the next bit, right down the road. If you were a Termelon and you were on the Jeffrey tubes, why would you use a vehicle? I mean, honestly, you wouldn't want anything extra. You would step onto the path, and you would probably have an orange crystal because that seems to be the most handy crystal to have because you know it operates on the machinery and the vehicles and such. He'd step onto it and off he'd go right. to get to where you're going. And in almost every story that's ever been told of the Tamalerns, you never see them with any kind of vehicle, any device. They're, they're always just walking along. So it makes sense that they would use the fringe path itself as a means of conveyance. Though I'm still holding out for a giant modified cat bus. <laughs> cat bus would be fun. I want the Munster Mobile. <laughs> I don't know. I think the cat bus is cooler than the Munster Mobile. I mean, you ever see Totoro? My neighbor Totoro? No, it's one of the few movies I haven't seen. It's just it's a, it's a heartwarming family film, and I you know recommend it to all, all the people out there if you want to set, set up in that world because that'd be interesting watching French where you do with Totoro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know there are plenty of nodes out there where there are magical creatures, so it's all possible. All right, well, I think we've covered fringe travel about as best as it can be covered. Yeah, I think we've covered about every possible vehicle out there without just being other iterations of the same thing. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. 
This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words.